If you open your Bible with me again to Ephesians chapter 4, my hope is to look at the second verse before we observe communion together. Ephesians chapter 4, I want to begin by reading from the first verse which we looked at last week down through verse 6. Paul says there, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the truth of your word. And Lord, we ask that you would give us much grace that we can walk worthy of the calling. We can walk worthy of Christ who called us. Lord, help us in the areas of humility and meekness. We ask you to come alongside and teach us, and we do so in Christ's name. Amen. So last week we began the second half of this epistle, which generally begins to make application of all of the great doctrines of the first three chapters. Last week we also looked at verse 1, which calls us to walk worthy. And you remember that even though Paul was imprisoned, Being a prisoner of the Lord, he begs, he urges, he pleads with the Ephesian Christians and along with them, us as well, that we would walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And if I was going to summarize last week's sermon in one sentence, it would be this way, to live worthy of Christ who called you to himself. When you see verse 1 of chapter 4, We need to understand that the rest of Ephesians, all of these three remaining chapters, is the working out of this one verse. If we were to ask the question, what does it mean? What will a walk worthy of the calling with which we were called look like? It's something I see on the page and know by the Spirit of God indwelling me that that I should give my life to and something that I should endeavor to be and to do well, then what would this life look like? And aren't you thankful we have ready answers to that question? Just taking a quick look through these last three chapters, we see that this walk worthy of the calling is a walk in unity and love with the rest of the saints. That is the context of these first 12 verses at least, or excuse me, the first 16 verses, that is unity of believers. But as we go on from there, we see that we are called to actually put into practice these great doctrines that we know, and it comes so far down into our lives that it affects the way we talk, it affects the words that we use, it affects how we deal with one another, it affects how husband and wife are to relate, children, it affects how you respond to your parents, it affects how we 
what we sing, how we sing, and the cause of our singing, and then the effect of our singing as we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. It's pervasive. To walk worthy of the calling with which we were called affects every part of our life. We are to be forever different since Christ has saved us. And so I want to look at just the first part of the second verse this morning, really just concentrating on these five words. With all lowliness and gentleness. That's the beginning of the walk which is worthy of the calling with which we were called. Last week I said that we are to walk worthy of the Christ that calls us. And this is where it begins. If you have anything in you that desires to say that you would walk worthy of Christ, then this walk begins with lowliness and gentleness. Before we get into these two words, lowly and gentle, or your translation may use the word humility and gentleness, or even humility and meekness. Before we get into that, I want you to notice the first word of the second chapter. This little word, with. What will you take with you as you walk worthy of the Lord? Many of you know we just got home yesterday from being away from home for five days. And needless to say, we took many things with us. We took a lot of clothing. We took a lot of food. Our van was packed. A lot of stuff went along with us on this trip so that we would be supplied and well supplied for everything that lay ahead in the week. This is the image that we need to have in mind. When we are walking worthy of the Lord, and this worthy walk is an ongoing, progressive journey living in the light of the gospel that never ends in the Christian life. It's the very heart of sanctification. It is sanctification. The first thing that we need to have with us so that we are well equipped to walk worthy of the calling that Christ has called us with is humility or lowliness and gentleness. This is what is required then we have a problem. We can't go to the closet. We can't go to the pantry and grab these things and put them in a bag and carry them along. The very opposite of these things are what you'll find in your pantry or closet. And of course you understand I'm speaking figuratively. The very opposite of these things or what is readily available to you, the opposite being haughtiness and harshness. These are the things that come natural. Haughtiness, pride, arrogance, self-exaltation, self-preservation, self-anything is what comes natural to us, even as Christians, because we deal with remaining sin. Pride is a dragon that dwells in the heart of every person. Can we just admit that? To some degree or another, 
in greater seasons of life, more so than others. Pride remains there. Many would say pride was the beginning of the fall. The desire to be like God. Tempted, yes, by the devil himself, but yet the real prospect of being like God is what plunged mankind into sin and depravity and now standing in need of redemption. Haughtiness and harshness is what you'll find if you're outside of Christ, certainly. But even those who are in Christ, who are not daily mortifying the deeds of the body, walking with Christ, these are the things that come so natural and easy to us. It's no wonder that the Bible tells us and warns us everywhere, in every genre of Scripture, whether it's history, poetry, epistle, gospel, prophetic, you'll find a warning in each one of those about pride in your heart. You'll read that God resists the proud, but gives grace to those who are humble. You'll find in Proverbs that there are things that God hates, six things, yea, even seven, that God despises, He abhors. What heads the list? Haughtiness, a proud look. Why? Because it sees... It seeks to see yourself on equal par with Him, or maybe to a little bit lesser degree, if we don't take it that far to where we are viewing ourselves as co-equals with God, then certainly better than everyone else. For whatever reason. Why those, myself included, who understand that we have been saved from deadness and sin and all of these types of things, why we would ever think that we are a step above anyone else. When we think of it in that light, the reasoning seems to escape us. But yet, nonetheless, we find ourselves there so often. So let's look more closely at the two words that dominate the first part of verse 2. With all lowliness or humility and gentleness or meekness. The first one, lowliness or humility, literally means to have a low mind. To think small of yourself. This is not self-deprecating in nature. It's not that we have to see ourselves as miserable worms at every turn but it's to keep ourselves in a proper context. Seeing ourselves as being part of the redeemed of God, not the head of the redeemed of God. Seeing ourselves the way that Christ sees us. Seeing ourselves as redeemed of God on purpose, and that purpose is to serve the body. Let me remind you of the larger context of the fourth chapter of which this second verse is found, and it is unity of the church. And that unity, as we're going to see in future weeks, is amongst great diversity. God has not made us all the same, nor has He gifted us all the same. We are quite diverse with diverse giftings, but yet we are called to be unified in the Lord. Unified in the body of the redeemed. And so it's no wonder that Paul begins here, the Spirit of God inspiring him 
And we are left with this thought. Humility is the beginning of unity. That's true in your life, church life. It's true in your family life. It's true in your work life. It's true of every relationship of which you are a part of. Humility is the beginning of unity. Perhaps you know this or the opposite of this from experience. We can read it in church history. Perhaps it's your own experience and testimony of being part of Christ's church. Whether it's you or someone else, when haughtiness, pride enters into the picture or the equation, the end product is never unity. If haughtiness or pride is anywhere in that equation, then the end product will never be the type of unity that Christ has in mind. This is where it begins. Not only does the word literally mean to have a low mind, it is the very opposite of that which the world system in which we live, the very opposite of what the world applauds. It's interesting, I was reading this week, I believe it was John MacArthur's commentary, and he had a quote there by John Wesley. And John Wesley, doing some study on this word, he said that neither the Romans nor the Greeks had a concept, had a way to express humility. There was no word in their language that described this lowliness of mind because it was seen to be a great weakness. Many people think that Paul made this word. He coined this word because there was nothing available to him to express what was the expectation of Christ upon those that have been redeemed lowly. This is something the world wants nothing of. The world tells its subject to go out and take the world by the tail, right? And with great pride and and, and highness and haughtiness. It's commended at every turn. But not so within the church. Not so. We're going to see that this is one of the characteristics of Christ Himself. But the second word, before we get there, the second word is not just lowliness or humility. The second word is gentleness. Meekness. How would you give a definition to the word meekness? Probably heard this before, but meekness defined as power controlled. It is ability, even much ability, much strength harnessed and kept in bounds. The meek are not those that have no strength. The meek are those who have great strength, but they know how to use it unto the glory of God. If you need an example or a picture in your mind of meekness, just think of a horse. An untamed horse. Great natural brute strength. And left untamed in that way, what happens? He's barely or she's barely usable, right? So dangerous, perhaps you can't even get close. 
but take someone like Travis or someone like Travis, give them enough time, and they will harness the power of these animals and make them usable, tame them, make them meek. The power is still there. This physical strength is still there. All of the the natural endowment of their creator is still there, but now it is harnessed and under control and it operates within a certain boundary. That's meekness. So especially when you take both of these words together, someone who is humble and someone who is meek, or someone who is lowly and gentle, this is not something, this is not something that the world would exalt. But it is the expectation of Christ upon every one of his believers. Please see that as, as an all, it's a pervasive application. It's not just the pastor who is called to be lowly and gentle. It's everyone in the church. Everyone in the church, this is your expectation. And really what we see here is this is a call to Christ-likeness. It's a call to Christ-likeness. There is a verse tucked away there in 1 John chapter 2. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, or I'll read it for you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. I don't know that I can say it any more plainly than the way John has written it. Perhaps we could understand it this way. If you say with your mouth, if the words come out of your mouth that you're Christ's, that you belong to Him, then you should walk as He walked. Can't you see these descriptive words as applying to Christ in their greatest application? Philippians chapter 2. If you would turn there, I want you to see this, because not because I don't think you're familiar with it, but I want you to see where how Paul brings in this greatest teaching in all of Scripture concerning the humility of Christ to see what context it's in, because it's in the exact same context as he brings it in in Ephesians chapter 4. If you were to turn in your Bible to the place which describes for us the humility of Christ To the greatest degree, where would you turn? Philippians chapter 2. And we'd read verse 5 down through verse 9 or verse 8. And we're told there that we are to have this mind in us, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so there at every step down into humanity, and you can almost number those steps of Christ down into humanity, making himself of no reputation. He who was worthy to lay claim to the greatest of reputation of all, he himself being the Son of God, the creator and sustainer of everything, 
made himself of no reputation at all. But the real reason I have you to turn here is to go back to the beginning of chapter 2. Or at least into the third verse. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Isn't it interesting? One of the greatest theological passages concerning Christ and his humiliation, his incarnation, comes in the same context of a call to unity and a call to humility. You can go back into those verses that begin the second chapter that we just read, and you can see that very often when we think of church conflict or we think of any kind of agitation in the body of Christ can almost always be traced right back into the disobedience of Christians to these verses. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. What comes natural? Selfish ambition, conceit, pride. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What comes natural? To esteem me better than everyone else. To esteem my wants, my wishes, my desires. And here's where we really get into trouble when we esteem my preferences over the preferences of the rest of the body. But then we get into the fourth verse. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. So we're seeking to meet and fulfill the needs and even the interests of the rest of the body of Christ. Are these things extremely difficult and contrary to our natural human nature? Of course they are. Paul knew that. So it's really amazing that right here he interjects the greatness of Christ's humility. No one has ever humbled himself like Christ has humbled himself. No one. Our combined humility, if the Lord were to grant it to us and to work it in us, would be nothing to the humility that Christ took upon Himself. The word again meaning to have a lowly estimation or to be of a lowly mind concerning yourself. No one ever had greater claim no one ever had a, a greater expectation to come and be served than Christ. But what we're told here is that He came to serve. He came to be humble. This is the exact same thing that we're called to in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, to be of a lowly mind. You want to walk worthy of Christ? You want to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called? It must begin here.
take both of these words and put them together and you reverse the order. You come up with gentle and lowly. Many of you have read that book written by Dane Ortland. It's based upon Matthew chapter 11. If you want to turn there with me, Matthew 11, verse 25 through 30. And we can see here again that Paul is calling us to Christ-like character and behavior. To walk worthy of the calling is to walk as Christ walked. How did he walk? Well, with lowliness and gentleness. If you're in Matthew 11, and look at verse 25. I'm going to read verses 25 through 30 just for context. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the two, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then he says these words, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ, in describing himself, please see that this is his own self-description. We're not being told this about Christ by Paul, though that would be enough. We're not being told this about Christ by anyone, but this is coming from Christ himself, from his heart, just like us. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of Christ's heart, his mouth has spoken, and he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is the expectation of you as a Christian. Finding yourselves now immersed into the context of the church, the body of Christ. How are you, how am I to act? What are we to do? How, do we to, how are we to interact with each other? Because what you'll find over time in church life, church life is not a place where you come to meet with a bunch of people who have been made sinlessly perfect, is it? Church life is where you're going to come to interact with people just like you. People just like me, who still bear a sin nature and very often given opportunity or taking opportunity, we will reveal that very sin nature. We'll sin against one another. We'll hurt one another. We'll cut each other with our words, with our looks, with our expectations. So if we are to maintain the unity and if we are to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called, what are we to do? We're to be lowly and gentle. Where are you going to get these two characteristics? Well, the second term 
gentleness or meekness. If you were to turn to Galatians 5, you would see there that it's a product or a fruit of the Spirit. Part of the fruit of the Spirit. Which tells us that both of these are produced in us by the Spirit of God. And as is usually the case, God is supplying by His Spirit the very thing He expects of us. The expectation is lowliness and gentleness, then what He gives by His Spirit as the Word of God washes over us and renews our mind, then we are given lowliness and gentleness. Without these two things being readily exampled in your life and in mine, church life can be miserable. It'll be a place where you don't want to go. It'll be a place where your sister or your brother sins against you. And the unity of the body is fractured from the beginning. And I think we necessarily should see these things in this order. It's as if the humility or the lowliness is what produces in us the gentleness or the meekness. So at every turn, humility is the key and the beginning point. As a kid, you saw those, those maps, right? Those, those mazes where there was a beginning and an ending point and you started with your pencil at the beginning and you tried to make your way through. Well, every one of those mazes that you see for every Christian life, the beginning point, after faith in Christ, you begin with humility. You begin with thinking lowly of yourself, thinking of others ahead of yourself, thinking of their interests, bearing with them, loving them, doing all of these things with them. And then the working out of that is gentleness or meekness. Now let me ask you a question for your own contemplation and by way of application. And it really does no good unless you're honest with yourself. It really does no good unless you lay yourself before Christ and ask Him to examine your heart. question is, is this a description of you? If you were to take a piece of paper and a pen and you were given an assignment to write words that describe who you are, would lowly and gentle find their way on the page. And I realize we, we might say, well, that's, you know, I, I don't want to seem, you know, too proud of my humility or my gentleness. That's why one person has said, humility and pride are split with a razor's edge. Humility is something that if it is there, Humility, if it is there, 
It's really not spoken of. And so the assignment really is a false assignment, right, to try to describe yourself as humble. If you describe yourself as humble, are you really humble? (laughs) And I realize even Moses said of himself he was the meekest man on all the earth. Moses has special um, privilege and prerogative as being who he was and a writer of Scripture to go and to say that. But yet in the depth of your heart, Are you characterized by humility and gentleness? And then here is the, the real difficulty. Is this what other people see in you? Is this what other people see in you as you make a profession of faith in Christ? Do they see you as one who is lowly and gentle? striving at every opportunity in turn to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We're just going to read the next verse to see where Paul is headed. He says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And just a little peek into where we're headed in the next few weeks. Our responsibility as Christians is to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's not to manufacture unity. It's not to try to to bring it to the surface. It's to keep it. And so in essence, we are given unity as the body of Christ. Our responsibility through endeavoring, through work, is to keep the unity. How are we going to go about doing that? By starting in the place of humility. I don't know if you're like me when you read these words and you make application of them or the Spirit makes application of them to your life. And all the times you have failed all the times you have acted in ways that were not described as lowly and gentle seem to rise to the surface. What do we do when we realize what great failures we have been in these areas? Well, the Scripture would call us to repent, to ask forgiveness. And I was thinking about this, and I... You know, we have a phrase... When we sin against someone, even when we sin against someone greatly and we go and make repentance or ask their forgiveness, we have a phrase that we might often tag into that apology. And it's this phrase. Can you find it in your heart to forgive me? And as I thought about that, Aren't you thankful that when we come to Christ in repentance, we never have to add that? We never have to tag that on. If you can find it in your heart to forgive me, we never need make application of that to Christ, to our Father in heaven. The scriptures tell us that He stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to grant forgiveness and repentance. It's always in his heart. 
So when we come to verses like this, verses like this really show us where we fail. They show us just how far we have to go in the Christian life. When we compare ourselves to the definition of these two words, and we see how far off and how how great a work it would be of the Spirit of God to bring our lives and these things closer and closer together, but yet that's what He does. That's His ability to take someone who was formerly... Think of the, the testimony of Paul. He was formerly, he says, a, a violently arrogant man. The word in the New King James there is insolent. That's not a word we use much anymore, but the definition of it is a violently arrogant. And yet the Spirit of God, Christ in him, makes him what? Lowly and gentle. And that same thing has played out millions of times over in the life of every Christian. Because I think what, how Paul describes himself can really be a description of every one of us in our natural state. We're violently arrogant. We are out to promote self, to preserve self, to love self at every turn. And to see ourselves just a little bit better than those around us. The Spirit of God working in us delights to take those violently arrogant people, to bring them to the feet of Christ, to wash them in His blood, to make application of His perfection and His righteousness and working in them through the process of sanctification to bring all of those violently arrogant ones down into a position of humility and meekness. When we understand from what and from whom we have been saved, how can we be anything but humble? We've been saved from sin and from the wrath of a holy God. And He has given us these as at His good pleasure. It's not something that we were working towards. It's not something that we were even so much interested in, but yet He came to us in time, called us unto Himself, made application of the blood of Christ. And then sometime later, as we grow in understanding and maturity, we read in the Scriptures... Verses like Romans 5, 6, which we studied a bit this morning, that while we were without strength, in due time Christ died for us. So I want you to see that these expectations, these beginning of expectations of walking worthy of the calling with which you were called are something that Christ works in you. You're not left to go it alone. You don't have to try to muster these things up within yourself. They are products of the Spirit of God being within you. Does this define who you are? If it doesn't, seek repentance from God. 
and strive to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of the Spirit in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you sanctify those that you have saved. We thank you for giving us a testimony of such. To know that you have worked in our lives to this degree. Lord, help us in these areas. We struggle so often. Lord, make us more like Christ. That it could be truly said over us that we are just as he gentle and lowly at heart. Lord, help us to find humility and meekness. Lord, keep these things within us at the very forefront of our lives so that we can do exactly as we are called here in Scripture to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We ask it for Christ's sake. We ask it in his name. Amen.